Let's open our Bibles to Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. And I did not intend this, but I realized right before the service, this is just the next passage after Acts. (laughs) And so you're going to be turning to the same page, probably, that you turned to last Sunday as we concluded a year and a half long sermon series on the book of Acts. And so, again, not intentional, but the Lord works all things together sometimes in some ways that make us smile. So uh, it's a passage that I dwelt on quite a bit during my sabbatical. Just these seven verses, and um, I hope to, will, uh, will be a blessing to you this evening as I've been preparing this message. I've been often thinking, I, I don't just want to talk about, uh, certainly not just myself, but, but want to share the gospel with you, the word of God with you. That's what you've come to hear is the message of salvation through Jesus' name, not so much a travelogue from me. Um, that's coming more at a town hall meeting in the coming weeks, and so you'll see a lot more pictures and hear about more experiences um, at that town hall meeting. But this is still a sermon where we need to hear the Word of God. But I want to use during this sermon series some of my experiences as applications that I hope help you in your faith. And so um, I know that that can be a bit of a dangerous thing. I I try not to do that all that much in my preaching, to use myself as an example. Um, And uh, I'm going <laughs> to buck that trend a little bit during the, the course of this sermon series, telling you about what the Lord has shown me during a time of, of focused rest and reading and prayer. And that's really what um, my sabbatical included. So this won't just be a trip report or a slideshow. Um, I, I recognize you come here for God's word, and, and that's my intention is to, to, to feed the sheep <laughs> uh, the Word of God, not so much stories from my life. And so um, it would help you, though, to know a little bit of the context of why uh, I selected this passage and, and even want to preach about this topic. As I began reading um, during my sabbatical, I wanted to read two books. Um, the first was the book of Romans, and um, the Lord revealed that actually quite late in my planning that I just needed to recenter myself on uh, this great gospel message of, that we find in Romans. And then the other book that I, I wanted to read is, is this book here called Heaven on Earth, written by Thomas Brooks in the year 1654. And so it's a book that's lasted, stood the test of time, 400 years. And the book is about assurance. It's about the topic of assurance. And even the first sentence on the back of the book, the subject of assurance is one of the most important elements of the Christian experience. And so... Uh, I, I wanted to grow in my assurance of, of my salvation and in my ability to talk about assurance and comfort and peace through Jesus with other people as a pastor. So growing in my own personal assurance, I was hoping would enable me to, to care for this church and to share the message of the gospel perhaps with other people as well. And when I began uh, my reading, I, I didn't really think of Romans and um, and this, this book as, as necessarily connected. I almost thought of them in disparate ways, but I found very quickly, as we'll find in, in Romans 1, that they are intricately connected. And so um, I wanted to grow in my own assurance of salvation. And uh, that was my basic goal in the, the first week of my sabbatical. And I'm convinced that this is an essential matter for every Christian. Um, the name of this book, Heaven on Earth, 
has become a bit of a cliche in our culture. It wasn't a cliche when, when he wrote this book 400 years ago. But the, the reference is to experiencing the peace of heaven while we are on earth to some extent. That's assurance. And so um, it doesn't mean that our lives on earth will be perfect. That's kind of what it means in the modern-day cliche, that we would go on a vacation it would, and it would be heaven on earth when you have arrive in Tahiti or Hawaii or something like that. That's not really what he's referring to. He's, he's talking about how in heaven we will be perfectly enjoying the presence of God. And so how can we grow in our enjoyment of salvation and of God's presence on earth in this life? That's what assurance is. And, and he says the Christian must strive for this assurance. And um, it starts, though, with a basic question. And I'll even read a few passages before we get into Romans, which will be up on the screen. So the first question that I wanted to ask of myself and that you should ask of your own self regularly is, am I really a Christian? Am I really a believer in Jesus? Am I born again? Am I saved? Or am I just fooling myself? And I want to let you know, this, did not, this question didn't come from a crisis of faith for me. Um, but is, is a good biblical question to ask of ourselves. Am I really born again, regenerate? Do I really love the Lord? That seems like a strange question for a pastor to ask, but Jesus' warning in the Sermon on the Mount has always been a challenge to me because he said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So just doing things in church does not automatically make one a believer or make someone born again. And Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And that's at the end of his many letters to the Corinthian church. Examine yourselves. See, he would write occasionally, um, keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. And so that was the first question of my own sabbatical time, was to examine my heart, myself. And second, we need to ask, when we are convinced of being born again in Christ, how can we grow in our love for Jesus? How can we grow in our confidence that that salvation has been won for us? So it is one thing to be saved, but it's, it's another to have real peace in your life as a result of that salvation. That's assurance. Assurance is the peace and confidence we have because God has revealed to us that our names are written in the book of life. And so that, that's really my intention tonight is to help us discern if that is you and if it is to grow in our our love for God and our assurance as a result. So um, we've already prayed for illumination for this passage. Let's look now at Romans 1, 1 through 7 and keep those Bibles open because I'm going to refer to quite a few different texts um, in the opening moments of the sermon after I read. Hear now God's word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, 
set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we have here a beautiful passage. We have here a powerful passage. And what we find in these seven verses that open Paul's great letter to the Romans is an interplay of how identities relate to one another. An interplay between the identity of Paul and the church and the Lord. So the letter of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. That's the first word of this book of the Bible, is Paul's name. And so we need to know something about who Paul is, but, but also of how he perceives himself. So how does Paul introduce himself? What are his primary identity markers? Paul begins by describing himself. He does not start by telling us, about his personal achievements, about his appearance. He doesn't begin by telling us about his interests and his family background. The first thing Paul says about himself is how he is connected to Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. So his identity is in relation to who he is um, in relation to Christ. He's called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And so he is a servant of Christ with a particular role to be an apostle, set apart to do a particular task, share the gospel of God. Each of these identity markers are, in some ways, outside of him. He is a servant of Christ. He says in another place he's been bought at a price with the blood of Christ. And so he is now a servant of Jesus, a servant of righteousness. He's called to be an apostle, and he's set apart for this task that, that he didn't choose for himself, but as we learned in our last sermon series on the book of Acts, was a task he was given and equipped to do by Christ through the Holy Spirit. So we need to note that right away, that Paul's identity is in his relation to Jesus And later in the passage, he tells the readers who they are, and again, tells them who they are in relation to Christ. Verse 6, he wrote, You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. What better identity could there be? You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he continues, You who are loved by God, and called to be saints. How do we receive this identity? How are we born again? How are we made into a new creation through grace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
so that we would have peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So both identities, that of Paul and the Roman church, are dependent on God. Assurance, peace, security, confidence does not come from our work, but comes from the work of God in us. Verses 3 through 5 describe the identity of Jesus. And that's really the core of this passage. So Paul gives very little description of himself, fairly brief description of the church, and a long description of Christ. And that's where our attention should be in discovering our own identity as well. That's what we're working on in our mornings. Who is Jesus and how do I, how am I connected to Christ as he is the light of the world and the, the bread of life and so forth. And so verses 3 through 5, he spends telling who Jesus is. He was descended from David according to the flesh. So Jesus was a real human person and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And so Christ is human and divine. He is Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And so here we find Jesus gives grace that enables our obedience through the Spirit and exalts his name among us. So if that describes your life and your heart's desire to know Jesus, to belong to Jesus, to obey the word of Christ, and to see his name exalted among all the nations, you belong to Jesus. You are born again. You have life. Jesus' resurrection life at work in you. So, what struck me when reading this passage is that my identity is not an individual matter. My identity is absolutely connected to who Jesus is, to who God is. What an opposite message than what we hear in American culture today. That your identity is in the clothes you wear, in the brand of phone that you like to use, in the school that you graduated from, in the job that you now have in the sin that you have committed or not committed. That these identity markers are so often absolutely individual instead of this life-giving truth that our identity is, as we'll read later, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, who is Jesus Christ. So Paul's Identity is not a description of who he is as an individual, but who he is in relation to God and the church. He is a servant of Christ, an apostle called to share the gospel of God. The church in Rome has a distinct character. I'm sure they had interesting, unique things about that congregation that were wonderful that God created in that church, just like here at Ammon Valley, we are a unique gathering of believers, and that's wonderful. We don't need to minimize our uniqueness or our personality, but are we ultimately known by that or by our relationship to the Lord? That the truth is shared here and believed here, and that, that we truly love Jesus. This is the same for every individual Christian. It's not just true of churches. If my own identity is in my work, then I will despair when my work is no longer 
the same. When I retire or I'm no longer able to work, and this is something that I would guess many retired people struggle with, if your identity is wrapped up in a function that you fulfill or a job that you have, so many people have no idea what to do in years of retirement. Or if your identity is in your family, then you'll worry constantly about them to the point of idolizing them. And if anything would happen to a family member, then you'd fall apart because that idol can't withstand the weight of, of your life and your hopes. So if my identity is in my personality or my interests or my achievements or my failures or my sins, the result will be a life of self-centeredness, a life of self-reliance, and ultimately a life of misery because someday I will die. Should the Lord tarry? Should the Lord wait to return? Each of us will face that moment where we would say, who really am I? Is it just me (laughs) doing my thing with my personality and my achievements, which all look backward? Or is it that we are in Christ and looking forward? As the author of Hebrews said, let us press on forward towards the author and perfecter of our faith. It's a progressive, advancing, growing faith when our identity is in Christ. So, why did I have to go all the way to northern England to think about this? I would guess some people were probably wondering about that. Why did I have to sit in an old church uh, to discern this? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's because I knew that I've become familiar with so many things in Ripon. Uh, Routines, which are good, wonderful routines. People who I love, who I missed very much, including definitely my own family in that first week as I was apart from them, and certainly missed this church very much. But with familiarity, we can sometimes attach our identity to those familiar things instead of attaching it to our relationship to God. And so that's why I was convinced I needed to to travel to a place I'd never been before. So in in a way, I would be productively uncomfortable. And I would search, who really am I, Mark Van Dyke? When the, the familiar things are pulled away, and I sit there with the Word of God in, um, in a very old 800-year-old church, you know, there, there's sort of a smallness to that that I really valued. Um, seeing myself in relation not just to God, but to the history of the church. So, it was helpful to me to travel somewhere to think about this, out of my familiar context. And on this point, I do want to challenge, especially those of you who have lived in Ripon for your whole lives, especially those of you who, who have so many familiar things around you, which are good things, to be careful about attaching your identity to those things over Christ. This is the longest I've ever lived somewhere in my adult life, is Ripon. I think Pam and I have moved five times. And so I could tell already, and we've been here just over seven years, and could tell already that, that there are familiar things and routines, and you might even say ruts, that we can get in, in terms of how we're thinking about ourselves and what we're trusting in. 
instead of getting out, experiencing a different culture, experiencing something uh, that challenges us. I would even go so far as to say, if you find that you are a very grumpy person, whenever you're away from Ripon, you might be attaching too much of your security to being in this town. Instead of loving the Lord, God is with you wherever you go. You're a believer if you're in in Timbuktu or Southern Africa or Asia or Central America. And, And so hopefully the Christian could grow in our assurance and realization that God is with us wherever we go when that's tested a little bit. And we're in different locales, different places, different churches with other people. And so that was what I was hoping to achieve or or gain, was just getting out of the familiar context in a beautiful, worshipful space. And so I do want to ask you, are you centrally a Ripponite? Proud of that? Are you first a member of Ammon Valley, charter member, which would be a wonderful thing? Sometimes people have a lot of pride in that. It's a good thing. Does it matter most, though? Are you a graduate of Ripon Christian? And, and that's your, really what you find a lot of your self-worth in. Are you a 49ers fan or a Giants fan or an A's fan or a Raider fan or you know Warriors fan? All these other identities that can be very local and when you get on the other side of the world do not matter at all. Truly do not matter. They've never even heard of the 49ers over there. Are you primarily a CRC person? primarily a person of Dutch descent. Again, you travel the world, it's not impressive. (laughs) But all of these things, which can be good, can become our identity. When it's removed during travel experiences, we open our Bibles and we see things from a new perspective. That's what I was hoping to gain. And so, On that first day of study on my sabbatical, I found a quiet corner in the Newcastle Cathedral called the Choir. You can see there a picture of the place where I studied. This is the choir. Those are very, very intricately designed long benches with three rows. And so that's on both sides. The choir would sit and face one another with these amazing acoustics. And um, the altar is that yellowish area and then Behind it is some beautiful stained glass. And so I sat about three rows up to the, our right there and about the middle section of that choir area to read the Bible. And it's not that I had to go there because that's like a magical place or a spiritually special place. It was a beautiful place, and that helps to, to direct our eyes upward towards the beauty of God, the grandeur and glory of God. So this architecture can be meaningful and helpful. It was created for the purpose of worship and has stood the test of time through world wars and through invasions and, and all of these, these uh, the English Civil War, which was so destructive in the 17th century. This cathedral stood the test of time. And so that was sort of bolstering to the faith of the people who still gather there as well. But the greatest benefit to me was that I was pulled away in that space from all those other identity markers and was just confronted with this 
this question, am I going to seek God here? When I walked into that cathedral, I wasn't Pastor Mark to those people. That was really good for me. Because especially as ministers, I know that there are many who would say the right-sounding things because it's their job. I've never felt that way about anything that I've said from the pulpit. But this could be a temptation to be the pastor and be distracted from asking, am I born again? Am I, am I really following Jesus? So, the greatest benefit to me was, was just sitting there being placed in this historic church built in the year 1350. And I was thinking of it like, almost like moving to a new town for a little bit. Like you move into a new town and you have an opportunity to reassess who you are. When you start a new school, maybe for those who went away to college one year, you had a reputation and all sorts of identity markers in high school, and then you would move into a new space, and who are you going to be there? And, and that isn't just for me to self-create, but that was for me to ask that question when I was in that space. So those situations present us with an opportunity for developing a new reputation, and what was so refreshing to me in going to this cathedral was, was that to them I, I wasn't Pastor Mark, which is an identity that I love very much, but I was just another worshiper in a long line of worshipers over the past 800 years. And there was a, a humbling element to that, but there was also uh, an encouraging element to that, that, that as I'm united to Christ, I'm connected to all who are loved by God and called to be saints. All who are loved by God and called to be saints. That I am among the body of believers, listening for God's voice, praying to him there, reading his word there. So as I walked around this cathedral, I want to tell you just briefly about the experience I had of beholding that stained glass that you can't see uh, behind the altar there, and I couldn't find a good image of it. And that stained glass has an image of the resurrected Christ blessing, um, offering a blessing, which is, you know, this is the symbol of blessing. And you could see the, the nail-pierced hand. And as I, I stood there, I, I realized that so much of my life and my work is about blessing other people, that what I needed in that moment was for Christ to bless me. And so, so just uh, beholding that, that it was something I needed to do was to pray for myself and read the word for myself and be assured of my own faith in Jesus, which I saw, I believe, there is genuine. And so right after that is, is when I came into the choir area and I sat down and, and opened Romans 1, and, and there it was, including you, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so after that experience of, of seeing the blessing of Christ, and then going to sit and reading the passage, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, it just confirmed in me by word and by experience that I should be assured of my own salvation, not of my own work, not because I went there to find it, but it's by grace and it's through faith. So in that space, I was able to read Romans 1 with, I think, fresh eyes. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. How do you hear those words now? You. This was the sermon this morning about the personal nature of the Christian faith. You 
also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. Is that the most wonderful thing you could hear? I hope so. If it is, it's true. You are called to believe the gospel of God concerning the Son. You are called to believe, and when you are and when you do, you are saved. The Spirit of God confirms God's word. When you read it and believe it, the Spirit will confirm in you an understanding and an assurance that accompanies belief that I would hope that as you grow as a Christian, you're not just growing in knowledge and understanding of the Christian faith, but growing in assurance that you really are one who belongs to Jesus Christ. So how do we grow in that assurance? That's what this book is all about. How do we grow in our understanding of, uh, or that God is at work in us and through us? And the answer is mainly our obedience to his word. That as we love God, as we worship him, as we show grace and love and patience to the people around us, as we obey his law, every time we do, our our assurance grows. Not as though we do those things for salvation, but we do those things as a result of our salvation, that God has changed our hearts and set us upon him. I love this little quote from this book that I was reading about how obedience relates to assurance. It's it's just one of the many reasons I'm glad I read the, the book. Thomas Brooks wrote, Ah, Christians, the way to assurance is not to sit down sighing and complaining at the want of assurance. So he's saying, if you want to grow in your peace and comfort in belonging to Christ and to the body of believers, the way to do that is not just to sit around thinking about it longing for it, sighing about it. But assurance lies in your looking to the Spirit, in your complying with the Spirit, in your cleaving to the Spirit, in your fellowship of the Spirit, in your welcoming of the Spirit, and in your honoring and obeying of the Spirit. Such a a helpful passage that, you know, is is worthy of a plaque in our houses. That if you want to grow daily in assurance, you will rely on the Spirit of God. You will seek God. You will pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fill me with faith and peace and an obedient heart. Paul offers this blessing to the Roman Christians. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this comes to us by grace, and by grace God pours his spirit into our lives and gives us these longings to walk in step with the spirit. So that is a message of assurance. You also are called to belong to Jesus. And you find that identity in the church, not as an isolated individual. And that was another reason it was good for me to go to these medieval churches. Is that it's not just an individualistic matter, but that I'm a part of this vast, historic Catholic body of believers. And again, how humbling and uplifting that was at the same time, just to be in these grand places of worship, being a a tiny part of God's plan in the world, but somebody who also matters to God. So the more we look outside of ourselves, the more we look to the gospel, the more we look to the Spirit who prompts us towards the obedience of faith, to His grace and peace, the more we look to the church 
the more assurance we will have that we belong to Jesus Christ. So has the Lord stirred in your heart a love for Jesus that you would love to belong to him, whatever that might mean? Has the Lord confirmed in your soul that you have faith? Has the Lord drawn you into a life of following Jesus actively, putting to death your old nature and being risen to a new life in Jesus' name? If yes, then you are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We're going to conclude this evening by reading aloud the words of our faith from the Heidelberg Catechism. And so to believe these words is to have comfort, is to have assurance through Jesus. And we're going to read the first two questions and answers of the Catechism, which will be projected on the screen. We'll read them aloud. First is a little bit longer. Second is very brief. Brothers and sisters, what is your only comfort in life and in death, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. But brothers and sisters, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And again we say amen, amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is the message we need every day, that we belong to you, that no one can remove us from your hands, that we have a perfect, effective salvation through Christ, that Jesus has shed his own blood for our souls, that Christ has regarded our helpless estate and won us, and bought us, and saved us. God, we praise you for the assurance you give us through the gospel. We pray that more would come to a knowledge of salvation through Jesus, and more would grow in assurance. Oh God, we pray that this gospel, the gospel of your Son, would go forth from this church, would go forth from each of us in powerful, um, fruitful ways in the week ahead. Oh Lord, give us peace so that we could show the world what it looks like to belong to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.